0: Welcome to Trail & Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. This week, Tris and I, Tris and I, Tris myself, I'm never really sure. Um, good England since we a children. We're joined by David Miller, runner, photographer. Oh, How else would you describe yourself, David, or, or have I covered it there?
2: I used to run a lot, but mainly photography nowadays. Um, I had an ankle injury last year, so I think it's sort of accelerated the photography side of things. <laughs> That's running nowadays, maybe 10K here
1: and there. Well it, it, I definitely said it might have come at a timely moment you, you, you're doing rather well. Well thank you
2: yeah <laughs> I, I
1: mean yeah
2: I, I, I can't believe it to be honest again I don't I don't do it full time I do it I do it for the love of the sport um, but yeah it's just something I enjoy doing and I'll carry on doing for as long as I, I enjoy it.
1: So so jumping back for those who don't know you you, you you started off as as a mere mortal as one of us you you you're a runner uh, and you're based in dorset yep and um and we we've bumped into each other many times on, on things like the Arc and stuff like that and and I think KVK and then Chamonix last year and stuff so um how did you get into running
2: well i started running 10 years ago and um, actually my son who's 11 now he was one and ended up in intensive care in southampton hospital and he got better and the hospital were looking for a team to run the Great South Run in Portsmouth, uh, 10 miles long. At the time, I was 16, stone, overweight, didn't run, didn't exercise, could just about run a bath. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I I trained and did that 10 miles and just got the running bug, like everyone else.
1: I did think you were gonna say you ran after the ambulance for a second (laughs) when that story started. (laughs) I kind of,
2: you know, I, I caught the bug and just naturally progressed from 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon, then crept into the ultra and up to 100 miles, which I would never do again.
0: <laughs>
2: and,
1: and you did the winner.
2: Yeah, I, I did the winner. That's that's 82 miles on my home turf. Obviously, I'm from Weymouth and Dorset. So the one is basically our equivalent of the, the archivetrician down in Cornwall.
0: Which 100 mile have Um, you
2: done? I did the Robin Hood 100. It's run by Hobo Pace. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Very very flat 100. Basically you run 25 miles along a canal path then do a 50 mile double loop of Sherwood Forest and then 25 miles back on the canal path. But it ended up being about 103 miles. um, And for my (laughs) first 100 mile at that last sort of 5k was hideous. Um, almost got in a fight with a swan it was just a a bad, a bad experience and i don't i don't think I'd do it again I'd rather be sort of behind the camera
0: <laughs> it's amazing how easy it is to piss off runners when there's like an extra kilometer or two on a 160 kilometer race 161 kilometer yeah. race it sends people furious um and it's like well these are trail races you know they're never going to be exact and anyway who's to say that your watch is exact anyway
2: you know exactly i mean i've got a lot of respect for for these guys out there doing 100 milers um i can say i can tick that box and say i've done 100 but i just i'm not very good at it i'm very mid-pack and i'd rather sort of sit and photograph some of the some of the better runners and give something back to the sport that way
0: yeah so how did so the how photography did- thing start were you were you james going to ask exactly the same question um were you, have you always done it? Was it, is it something you studied or is it something that you picked up as a hobby and then it's become more than that? Yeah.
2: So, so actually my job is a gas engineer. That's, that's been my job for 20 years. Um, I didn't realize I was a creative until lockdown. Um, I had a little point and shoot camera, um, during lockdown, I just used to do that as a bit of release. Um, you know, I love that. I love being creative and I get endorphins from that. It makes, it makes me feel good. So obviously during lockdown, I had a lot of time to play. Um, and Anna, who you guys might know bought me a, a Canon DSLR camera, you know, just because she believed in me. Um, as start- your partner. Yes. Yeah. And I started practicing with that during some local races and, um, and I just ended up getting better with it, but at the same time, I I was just enjoying it more and more. And because I fell in love with running, you know, back at the start, that's why I can sit there and photograph runners because I love the sport so much. And I just think the longer I do it, the, yeah, I I just I love it.
1: You you found your niche. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not blowing smoke at your backside. You're very good at it, and 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 that's been really proven. By the places you've been asked, we're we're going to get onto one of those for sure. But yeah, the the places that you've photographed runners as some of the the world's top events already. So for for somebody new to the to the world of sports photography, you're flying. You must be very pleased with that.
2: I I, I am, and I think you know we'll, we'll we'll go on and talk about the barclay you know, a, a bit later. But you know, right right from the very start, again it. <laughs> i just i just wanted to capture runners and I think if we use UTMB 2021 is you know a bit of a you know it, it it was a turning point I basically practiced during local races so like the arc of attrition the wanna I went to UTMB during it, it was after lockdown apparently it was one of the quieter years but obviously it was my mm-hmm. first experience and I feel like I had a bit of a breakthrough um, I wanted to photograph the best runners in the world. I had the opportunity to do that. Um, I learned off some of the best photographers in the world out there. And, you know. You say I, that.
1: Did they do so from a Because we interviewed Ian Corliss um, way back along. Yeah. Um, and and it, he he's kind of, he was one of the first ones, obviously. Yeah is there that level of when you say you learn from them is there a, a, a camaraderie and a collegiateness above them cuz if it's paying if it's putting bread on the table for some people i could imagine there's a, a little bit of um um Uh, gardener's protectionism maybe uh to the sport because like you said everyone with a a, we can pick up a camera has the potential to go do this but clearly you've got something there did they spot that and they've been mentoring and nurturing you or or how did that work um no one's sort of been mentoring me but i take a lot of inspiration from
2: from those photographers i think everyone's got their own style um, and I think going forward, it's important to keep your own style. If you try and copy, it, you know, I don't, I don't think the results will, will always be good. So you have got to go out there and sort of figure out what you're doing. But that that UTMB, for example, there must have been, you know, on the finish line maybe thirty photographers. You know, a lot of them were sort of well, well known, and it's just interesting to see what they do. But I remember sort of doing a lap, a lap of that. Mountain with a media team. It didn't quite go to plan. We got a, a, like the highest point of UTMB is Col de Feret, and I think yeah, that's I know the, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the Italian Swiss Pass. Um, we got up. In, in a nutshell, we got to the summit there about three hours too early. We were waiting for Francois, and um, it got very cold. It got very critical, and we didn't see any runners. And we ended up coming back down the Swiss oh, side. Wow, in which courtney passed us running which <laughs> felt felt really weird but we you know we, we come down sat in the bus i felt really deflated because i didn't get the image i thought i thought i was going to get the sunrise some runners coming up and i thought it was going to be a standout photo but in the end it, it just didn't turn out very well so then we got on the bus went to lac champagne and then back into chamonix um and i was one of the last photographers on the stand so on the I think it was like the bottom left-hand side. I just remember sitting there, cross-legged, you know, waiting for Courtney to come in. Um, and I didn't know at the time, but her husband was stood next to me. So she, huh. when when she finished, she come over to my side, and I I caught a picture which almost changed, it, you know, it opened That's up. A new sliding indoors
1: moment, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it opened up new opportunities for me, and it made me realise that I, I I can do this, but. You know, I didn't, at the time, I thought it was a stroke of luck and I had to, you know, I I had to almost repeat that time and time again.
1: Mm. As um, a runner and and friend of mine was stood at the start line of, I think it was OCC last year, and uh, he looked down at somebody who's tying shoelaces next to him and and said aloud... um, this is like being in a Billy Yang movie and the guy looked up and it was Billy Yang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: it's, yeah.
1: It's the place to be for that, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. Billy. I mean, t- 2021, apparently, like, like I say, it was quite, was quite quiet. Obviously Courtney was there and Francois, but last year, the year you were there, you did the triple C, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I was obviously there with Anna. She was doing the TDS, but last year it was just star studded. It was, you know, it was Killian, Billy Yang, Zach Miller, they, they, they were all there. It was great. Um, but last year, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I felt the pressure going into 2022 because I had a semi successful 2021 and I had to try and repeat that and almost come up with a better product. I had another year behind my belt of trying to become like a sports photographer. And I think that race is almost seen as like the Glastonbury Trail running, and mm. all, all eyes are on you, you know, if you're a runner, or if you're a photographer eyes are on you during that race and the pressure's on
0: when you said um in 2021 you were kind of observing what everyone else was doing photographers <clears throat> what exactly are you looking at there are you looking at the equipment they're using or is it the composition they're going for or the way they're positioning themselves or is it more in like retrospectively when you see their shots and you're like okay cool i'll see what you did there
2: yeah i think you know <laughs> I'm not technically the best photographer and I'll always admit that. I'd almost get criticism for that. But I think composition, I personally think you're born with, you can teach it to an extent. But I absolutely look at the equipment they're using and a bit of positioning. And more importantly, the speed and decision making they like that are they're doing while the runners are running. Mm. Um but I think you know that 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 was a learning curve but I felt during 2022 I just had to go out there and al- almost be like my my own person I had to make the decision to myself and almost live up to like like, like I say like a, like a successful 2021
1: yeah so talk us through, you took the the iconic image of, of Courtney as you mentioned and and what happened after that when that, when that picture how did that picture get out into the world first of all and and, and then kind of what happened in terms of your career
2: i i, I think with that one you know it, it definitely opened up new opportunities i think in instagram is probably my favorite tool for for showcasing photos with with that one like salomon got in contact and wanted to blow it up at the running show in in america um I think Santo wanted to use it and I just think the more brands use it, it just becomes like a known image. Mm. Um, but that 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 was certainly the photo which got which got me more gigs. And that, that includes like like the Archivetrician with you guys. You know, I've got a good relationship with Fergie and Jane, Dan and Cornwall, and they, they just kind of like let me get on with it really. I, I come down, I love that race. It's actually still my favourite race, the Archivetrician.
0: You mentioned about your own style. <clears throat> And you know, a good photographer's got their own style, and it's something that they should maintain. Yeah, and I agree with you. Um, same same with a uh, filmmaker as well. You, you tend to see that in film filmmakers, don't you? <clears throat> um, how would you describe yours? I and mean, I love eight, a pitch. What would be the way you would describe the type of photos you take?
2: I try to catch like the real side of the sport. I think there's a time and a place for sort of influencer-style photos which are staged, and I understand a lot, of, a lot of the product shots have to be staged, but I think as time goes on, I my, my heart in events shooting almost like runners suffering. You know, mm. I've been, Steve, in the corner of the Workingmen's Club puking up mile 70.5, I, <laughs> you know, and I think it's important to capture almost... I want to say, like, the ugly side of the sport, but it's important yeah. to catch the real side of the sport, you know? And I think, you know, for, for, for me, I would rather I would rather be the photographer that captures that and to almost, like, tell the story. It's a cliche, yeah. I know.
0: <laughs> no, but I, I, you're, I, I, I think you're right. Um, it's an interesting side of it to show, and I think that's probably why you've done so well is because a lot of your photos do capture the kind of, the suffering and the misery and the, the bits. Because actually, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your photos, there aren't, there's aren't actually people running. Um, it tends to be people like reconsidering their life choices and, you know, squatting down the ground, yeah. um, you know, one, trying to eat a sandwich or something like that. It's the sort of stuff that happens outside of the running in a way.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you know if you're if you're an outsider and you look at ultra running as a sport, obviously it's easy to think of the running. I, I sort of work hard on the running shots, but I think the shots of people sort of feeling sick or eating a sandwich—they're the ones. That's the side of the sport, the sport people they, they don't see. And I think again, it's in, it's important to capture that side.
1: Do you think there's an element of um, we can relate to those moments where maybe? The majority of the race pack can't relate to, you know, Francois or Killian or yeah. Courtney tearing down a hill. But we, we've all been in aid stations feeling shit.
2: Uh, absolutely. And again, it's for me, it's telling the story. Whenever I come away from an event, I always try to have a mixture of sort of start line, finish line, and everything in between. So obviously, the running is primarily the sport, but like, like I say, the, the, aid stations, you, you quite often, you, you tell the story. I think mm. last year at UTMB, I remember seeing Killian at Tryon checkpoint, you know, and he was having his blood stunned by a doctor. I, I, I mean, I don't know the science behind it, but I was taking pictures of Killian having his blood done, And I thought, yeah, this is cool. I've never, never, never seen that before, you know, so <laughs> take it and just put it out there and see what happens. Well,
1: not. Not many people are ever going to see that, are they? Because no, there's not that many people around him for a start. Be interesting
2: to see if Killian ever does UTMB again. I don't think he needs to.
1: <sighs> no, he's kind of set the standard there, hasn't he? Yes. It, it, it was the, the highlight of my my year last year was was Stephen Cousins turning around to me and saying Killian's an hour behind you. Wow. I mean, different race, but it felt good. Yeah. <laughs> quite a <lot> of that. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to hear that again. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I anyone's think, ever heard that. Again, oh, no, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think going back to UTMB 2022, so again, I, I wanted to go there and um, almost come up with a better product. So not just get one lucky shot. I wanted to get some mountain shots, some some pictures of the runners out, out there in the field and obviously the start and finish line. So I've, I felt like a bit of pressure. Um, at the time, my balance wasn't wasn't great i i you know I, I felt pressure and i wanted to give up photography for a while um oh, wow. but luckily you know i'm with anna and she puts everything into perspective um, and I've, I've got the balance a bit better nowadays well
1: it's um So I saw you two guys – I think I was grabbing a burger, actually, when I bumped into you finally on the the main drag in in Chamonix. That's right. Yeah, I remember. And um, the logistics of of being at an event like that, are you moving – because in Cornwall, I can very much understand how you move around the arc, but out there – with with such a big event, are you part of a press pack? Are you limited to where you can go? Are you given an agenda of any kind, some kind of results that you have to produce X amount of photos or certain people? How does that work? Yeah, it
2: sort of depends who you work for. I've gone into UTMB twice now, just freelance, um, okay. and then afterwards I distribute the photos. And I think that's always a good position to be in because it gives you like a like a bit of a creative license. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you work for a brand, you'd almost have to follow like a runaround. and that would, yeah, it, you, you wouldn't be able to be so creative. Um, but UTMB are pretty good. They they put on like a media bus for you, and you you know you can go to several stops. Round the mountain so obviously they take you to Notre Dame de la Gorge mm-hmm. which is like amazing last year they had like a big light up hoka tunnel I don't know if you've seen that
1: I didn't get to that bit
2: no you do. oh you did the triple c the second half yeah, yeah. isn't it but yeah they obviously take you to several locations and then then back to the start so it's always a you know it's great getting shuttled around but obviously during a events like the arc yeah you, you're you're in the car and you're sort of racing around here there and everywhere
0: yeah so it's uh so i was gonna say if, you, if you're if you being shuttled to specific locations do you find that kind of restricts you you know are they kind of almost going well you're going to get a good shot from here because you can look over there and we're going to tell you exactly what your photograph's going to look like does that feel like it's sort of restricting you in yeah. some way and you you know there might be an advantage to just Kind of going at Lone Wolf and finding some little rocky outcrop to sit on.
2: Absolutely. And I think from 2021, I learned going into the 2022 edition not to go at Grand Colferre because I was really disappointed. And I chose the quiet option of going to Lac Combao. Um And it was only me and Anna. Um, and I pretty much had two hours there just to just to have a little play around the lake, you know. And I, I, ma- I managed to catch some stuff I was really happy with. Hmm. so
0: what what cameras are you you using without getting too techy and everything so what what kind of equipment are you carrying around with you have you got multiple cameras and lenses or you you know how does it work
2: hey i've got i've got one camera and one lens i use at the moment really um yeah going into next year just depending on sort of what opportunities come up i and also it depends if i ever go part time or or go pro at the moment i've got the balance just right and i'm i'm just happy targeting the key events so this year i'm going to ultra trail snowdonia potentially western states 100 and utmb again so i think if i can finish the circuit this year and carry on getting good results next year i might i might look to go sort of part time and maybe upgrade some some equipment but I think, like anything, you know, you can have a ten thousand pound camera, but it doesn't—it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get.
1: It's not going to make videos. the shot, is it?
2: You can get good iPhone shots, to be
1: fair. Mm. It's <laughs> I can't. It's his own right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm forever. I get sucked into you know the the Instagram adverts when someone's showing you how to um, how to get the best shots with your iPhone. I'm, I'm constantly looking at those, and and then within five minutes, I've completely forgotten it, and I stick my thumb over the lens again. Um,
2: but I think those those iPhone photos do have a time and a place. I'm sure when you guys do an event, you want to be sent those photos from your mates the day after. We, you know, we all like the iPhone <laughs> photos, but it's
1: well, like you know, say, they they grab the most natural elements of it. You know, yeah, well, exactly,
2: um, exactly. I mean, the people there with their iPhones are right in the in the thick of it. And,
1: and when Chris was laying on the ground at his last track event, I went to you know, prone, prostrate, in need of help. I, I stood there clicking away yeah Mm -hmm. and 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 commemorated that for you you know yeah it's uh memorialized it
0: yes and the
1: sympathy overflowed (laughs) (laughs) um and and then kind of you know you've got the i guess you've got the in footage stuff with 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 gopros and stuff like that going on um so we're seeing races more and more from from a runner perspective and then you've got you know um, Steve Cousins with film my run and, and, and all yeah. the people that have done that kind of style and and yeah. Lloyd and his style and stuff like that and yeah. so um this this definitely seems to be a, a more overall um uh, media capacity within races but still you know that you still need some a photographer to get those you know quite quite the money shot um which yeah. which makes it so professional and, and so um representative of the, of the elites i guess
2: i, I think so I, I think like videography is something i've considered in the past but i think it's it's almost its own its own trade but you know i, I quite like how basic a camera is and just how how raw a photo can be and um, videography can't can't really give you that um and sometimes just going around with a single camera you know is it you know you you can get in the thick of it and you have you haven't got to worry too much about all the video yeah
0: what what's your take on the kind of uh, the business of race photography because you you see it done a lot of different it's, ways it's a, it's a strange one because i think oh. Oh. i was gonna say i was gonna say you see it done quite a lot of different ways don't you you see um you know some races they they pay a photographer to be there photographer captures the shots and then those photos become available you know through a facebook post or on a website that people can download and cherish and all that kind of stuff other times you might get the similar setup but the race photos aren't part of your entry fee and so you might have to pay if you want to download those photos um and then i guess there's sort of other things in between other sort of twists to all of that but it seems it doesn't seem to be a kind of tried and tested way of doing it because also, also you get independent photographers turn up I guess a bit like you at UTMB and you're just snapping yeah. stuff that you might eventually license or sell on to someone um but you're not I guess officially sort of part of you know you know you're not officially part of the UTMB um yeah. thing package you know
2: yeah I think I think race photography is almost you you can you can pigeonhole it in lots of different categories now because there's a time and a place for someone to capture every runner. And I, I I don't enjoy doing that. I won't sort of stand in one spot and photograph every runner because I, I haven't got the time to sort of edit those photos, but also again, you lose that creativity. I think, you know, for me, I like turning up at an event and just having like a bit of a free license really. So you, because I think if you're given that license, you can capture it to the best of your ability.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was in a race not so long ago where um, they published all the photos and you had to go onto like a web portal, enter your race number. And of course, like the, the photos were automatically scanned for the race bib so that they could categorize everyone as their number. And then it shows you all the pictures with your number. Yeah. And then you just pay your yeah. money and download it. And even then, I think it was still watermarked with the, uh, the name yeah. of the events organiser. I was like, mm, you know, if I'm going to pay for photography, I don't particularly want it to be watermarked.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, I've, I've, I, and again, I think that style of photo is something people will sort of happily pay for, but you're always going to need the photographer there behind the scenes. Yeah. You'll notice I wear black a lot. You know, I won't wear a high vis. I'll basically, I'll be the guy sort of hiding behind a bush, taking.
0: I've never seen you, mate. You just you blend that's in.
2: The, that's the plan.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just you just
2: blend. I asked, Fergie I wouldn't take his high vis down at the Ark of Attrition. I said I ain't wearing
1: that. <laughs> it's hard to find somebody not in high vis that weekend, though, at three yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yeah, um, yeah it's um, the the photos that I got from. CCC were, were pretty much as you described there, Tris. And I, actually, there's a few of them where I knew that was happening. So I lifted up my waterproof at one point to show my race number so I'd be able to find the picture later. And I, unfortunately, unlike most elite runners, uh, my race belt sometimes makes me look like I, I'm a water sausage being squeezed in the middle, and it's not the most flattering look. Um, so those mm. photos never, never did. I, I, I'm not going to at least that rugged. in the world. <laughs> just need to stretch myself out a bit in photoshop maybe but you know what
0: it, um, it goes, I, it goes I, back to sorry i was just gonna say Joe, that's sort of stage photos like that it goes back to it's like you know anyone knows from having family over at christmas or or some other event or party or whatever that if you try and get everyone to line up together and smile it's always going to be lame it's never a good photo right it always just looks so <laughs> forced and put on you're like somebody's got
1: their eyes closed somebody else has got a double chin it's
0: just not good and people don't want to be there doing it and all that you can see it in their eyes right but if you just pull a camera out and start snapping people randomly around a table you will get some nice photos of people in conversation natural kind of posture pose the look in their eyes and everything and you get so it's you get much much better results and i think it's the same as this like those those you know and like you said there's a market for it people crossing the finish line people posing with a medal people uh, you know a thousand people all running up the same rise and having the same photographer take a picture of them with that scenery in the background and everything i get it some people like that but you're going to get a better photo when it is less sort of engineered and structured and staged like that i think and your photos speak to that dave
2: oh thanks and again there there is there is a time and a place for those sort of medal photos and again if i did a race i would want those but then in the next breath i would hope you know, that one of the stealth photographers got something really cool in the background. And that's kind of Mm. like the category I'm sort of trying to fit into.
0: Stealth photographer. Is that that a commonly used term? (laughs) Or did you make it it up?
2: Hashtag stealth. (laughs) No, I just, I think I'm just making it up really. But I think, again, like you said, if you, you know, if you've got a guy you know if you're sort of stood around and you don't realize that someone's taking your picture they always turn out the best ones and it's it's the same with running hmm. i took a i took a picture down at the arc of a guy at the start line and he was sort of sat cross-legged on the pavement with his head in his arms and he he didn't have a clue i was taking a picture of him Um and, and it, it you know it turned out to be one of my better photos from the arc
1: I think a lot of yours are used on that still, aren't they, for the promotional work. You've got some good ones, the, the people crossing the bridge and such. It's uh, Yeah, you, you captured that event really well. I guess that it must help as well now, know, knowing the course and, and knowing where locations that work and, and, and times in those locations as well. So I guess yeah. the experience comes from that as well.
2: Without a doubt, I did the ARC50, like the first edition. I believe that was in 2019, maybe? Uh
1: 221, I think it was. Yeah,
2: well, I, I did the first edition and, right. and yeah, I, I've gone down to Cornwall several times on the path. So I, I was I was aware of where the good locations were. But, but also, again, I love Cornwall. My mum and dad are from Perrenporth, my heart's down there. Um, and it's somewhere I'll, I'll, I'll carry on, I'll, you know, I'll carry on coming down to the Ark.
1: Yeah, so it is, a, it is a great event. It is a great. We, we talk about it all, all the time on that one. So, we've talked about UTMB and we've talked about um, uh, the ARC, but of course, you've just been on your travels. Um, you're, you're fresh back from Laz's race, Barclay, the Barclay yeah, Marathons. You How did got- that come about?
2: Well, the first rule of the Barclay Marathons is I'm not allowed to talk about the Barclay Marathons.
1: <laughs> well, it's been great having you on. Uh, we've <laughs> loved it.
2: <laughs> anyway, it's um. I, I I'll be honest. I I've, I've seen the documentary, like like you guys, like all the listeners, and it's something. It it's something I've always wanted to photograph. It was an absolute dream of mine. So I made the right steps to sort of make that happen. It's something I can sort of delve into too much.
1: No, no, that's funny. like the
2: logistical side, but I can definitely sort of talk about like like the experience. And again, it, I, I had a lot of loopholes to jump through to be able to go out there, but it it was just one of those. It just panned out, and I felt in, you know extremely fortunate to be able to do it.
1: Well, well, certainly don't compromise yourself in any future work out there. But yeah, if you can tell us uh, within the limits of what you what you're allowed to say and and how it came yeah. about and 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 what it was like and the logistics again of. of, of- yeah being out in Frozen Head, tell us more. Yeah, sure, it never
2: nearly happened. Um, I flew into Detroit and they basically pulled me aside at customs and said I was wanted for arms.
1: <laughs>
2: so I got in, I got interrogated, then an apology. So then I whipped on another flight to Knoxville, you know, stayed the night and then obviously arrived in the Frozen Head State Park. And I'll be honest, I, I was supposed to have a fiesta but they gave me a Subaru, which I was really happy with. I was a bit (laughs) worried about the driving over there, but that that was relatively easy. Big open highways, no tailgating. It was great. So it was a 45-minute drive from Knoxville Airport. And again, driving into Frozen Head State Park and the campsite, we all know, it was just a strange feeling. I mean, the, the campsite's probably not as big as you expect, and also it's on a slight incline. So on the videos, when you see the runners run into the gate, it's quite impressive. They're going up. They're going up. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, the they're...
1: only one I've noticed that one was um, we showed it in Trails in motion. It was the Barclays Sands Pity one, and in in that one, you definitely get the impression that they're they're walking towards the gate. But, yeah, um, yeah. You can miss it in so many of them. It's, it's well, also it's one of the few spots but... they're going to get
0: filmed or photographed, right? So they're going to you're going to crack into a run at that point, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's also compact and sort of close together. There's a big shower toilet block, toilet block in the middle that a lot of the runners go to because because it's warm. I'll tell you more <laughs> on that later because that's really funny. But it, it it was just such a strange feeling, almost just seeing the yellow gate for the first time. You're like, whoa, it's it's just mystical.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the most, I mean, it's the perfect word. It's one of the most mystical races still. And he's done well to keep it that way, I think.
2: Without a doubt. And again, sort of meeting Laz, it's the second time I've met him. I, I've met him in Birmingham at the. Oh, the like, NEC? Yeah. But obviously, this was his backyard. So, you know, going up to Laz and talking to him, thanking him for the opportunity to photograph the Barkley. You know, he, he's an intelligent guy, he's really humble. Yeah. And he, he just, the, the guy commands respect. But mm. what, what he's built is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Are there are many
0: photographers there.
2: There was, well, there was three. So there was myself, Alexis Berg, and Howie Stern. And there was other media crew about, but they were specifically with like a runner.
0: Mm.
2: But the, the freelancers were me, Alexis, and Howie. So we sort of worked as a team, as a trio. Oh,
1: that's nice. Um,
2: yeah, and re- really nice guys. Obviously, I know I know Alexis from before, but it was nice sort of meeting Howie. He's American, so he sort of showed us the ropes. Um, you know, before going out, we were told we were only allowed round camp and only allowed at the top of Ratchall, which is the, the like the fire tower you guys see. And mm-hmm. um, so we were limited with locations, but I think even those two locations, you can still capture the nature of the event.
1: Oh yeah, I mean yeah, you, you've got you've got to keep it to a degree. Um so that people are unprepared I guess and, and for the first time they go there so they can't research it like the way we do most of the races yes. you know yeah. we, we look at all the videos we check everything out and of course the, the the people that are lucky enough to go to Barclay don't get that which is definitely part of the race and and yeah I mean it's it from a from a logistics point of view there around camp how long were you there before the race started and 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 how long were actually on your feet for did you do as as long were you up for 60 hours how did that work
2: it was it was just a strange experience like obviously i was sleeping in the back of a car i took over a sleeping bag which i bought for 20 pounds on amazon and that was a massive mistake because at night it was bloody freezing sort of carried up in a ball there was no shops no signal but I went to a Walmart on the way to Frozen Head, sort of stocked up on what I need. Luckily, I had a half-decent jacket, so, you know, I survived the week. But it it, it, it it was strange. I arrived on the Sunday, and I had a prison tour on the Monday morning, so I set my alarm for that. So we went to the, the prison that the runners run under. Have you, yeah. seen, have you seen that in the documentary. And yep. Laz us, gave us a bit of a tour and taped up one of the books, like behind the prison. That was a that was a sort of surreal, strange experience. In because it's just a book, but it's yeah. it's, it's, it's so special because that's obviously what the runners collect. Um, I take it a lot of the listeners will know the logistics of the Barclay and how it works, finding the books and well, like yeah,
1: I, I would hope so, but, m- but maybe not. I, I, explain a little for us.
2: Sure. Well, it's it's at frozen head state park which is in tennessee and the runners start at a famous yellow gate and they've got to complete five loops and it's, it's supposed to be about 20 to 25 miles per loop but again the runners are not allowed to wear like a gps watch so it's, it's never sort of proven um, and they need to do it within 60 hours
1: and they have to go off to random locations within the area collect so they each have a, a a race bib that changes on each loop, each marathon, which yeah. which they have to go to find these books that have been hidden out in the woods, tear yeah. out the page that correlates to that given race yeah. number, and then yeah. bring those pages back to Laz at the yellow gate, like you said. He checks them off and, and if they're all good, off they go. Can you imagine getting back and, and, and having ripped the wrong page, which must have happened.
2: Oh, absolutely. Obviously, I've seen people being tapped out for not finding enough pages. But funnily enough, the I'll call him the winner because he was the first runner back after five loops, Aurelian Sanchez. Apparently, there was word back at camp that one of the books went missing on the last loop. Oh, no. Um, yeah, someone, him, I believe, a hiker had
0: moved it, hadn't they, thinking the race was over? Or something on those yeah. lines. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Apparently,
2: yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was Aurelian's last book. So he was on loop five. And i think there was 14 books i believe so he got he, he got to book 13 found that went to go and find book 14 before we come back to be a finisher and he couldn't find it oh my god so we were all panicking a little bit thinking you know this this wouldn't this wouldn't be good for the sport or the event yeah he he, he built like a little pile of stones where the book was right and then to prove he he was there. there. Yeah. Um, and that's why he's a finisher. It's really Jesus, great. that's
1: thinking on your feet, isn't it? After all that time to have that presence yeah. of mind to build a little care. quick thinking. Especially after two yeah. nights no sleep. Yeah. That, yeah. Mean Apparently, that's a, someone walked around right and there. cleared it up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is remarkable. Cause it's
0: like for someone even to be walking on that trail there is unlikely, never mind to find a book and to move oh my God. it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 was a strange one but l- luckily he did that and then there was no you know there was no
1: controversy. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think in many sports there might have been but I would like to think that people would respect his integrity and the integrity of runners not yeah. not to cheat on an event like that.
2: All I heard was bad stuff happens at the Barclay.
1: Yeah. This is true.
2: We yeah. don't know what happens
1: but it happens.
0: So you must have had yeah. some pretty long gaps of inactivity because it takes even the fastest runners to do sort of like nine hours to do a lap of this thing. Um yeah. And then the slower ones are more like 12 hours. So yeah. how did that work? Were you kind of, were you doing a bit of post-production on your shots, like in the back of your car or, <laughs> you know, you you, you you did say you were traveling out to a rat, is it rat Jaw?
2: Kind of. Sorry, i lost signal there. Um, so in, in between the runners doing the loops, we were allowed to go to Ratjaw. Um, luckily, the guys I was with had a bit of a knowledge of the course, so they knew roughly how long the runners would be from the gate to the top of Ratjaw. But obviously, if there was like a gap of five hours, yeah, i will do a little bit of editing. I drove down into Wartburg, tried a Taco Bell, which I'd never recommend. <laughs> Completely overrated. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm not sure anyone <laughs> thinks Taco Bells are great. So I don't think they can be classed as overrated. I, I, I it's just it convenient, things. right? <laughs> it's like some Pizza Hut pizzas are just totally overrated. But yeah, a lot, you
2: know, a, a bit of driving around. Obviously, there was a bit of a high cut to the top of Rat Jaw, And I just had to be at the right time at the right, you know, all, all the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah.
1: So the the, the toilet block what happened in the toilet block I'm intrigued now
2: well I think it was at the end of loop two the runners come in and obviously it's really warm in there because there's heating I went in there generally to go to the toilet and there was John Kelly sat down, Damien Hall sat down, the photographers, and there must have been about ten of us in a tiny toilet block. And it was a, it was absolute carnage. There was tea on the floor, <laughs> sweets, nutrition everywhere, and you know we were just trying to find like a corner just to take some photos. But it, it it was it was the Barclay going on in there, you know. And they,
1: yeah, it's like the Barclay version of the kitchen at a party. You're just all hanging out in there.
2: <laughs> yeah, basically, it, it it was just carnage, but it was it was great to photograph. I got some photos in that toilet block. I was really sort of happy with. I, I, you might have seen some lineup at one of Jared Campbell and his wife, a um, couple of other sort of runners behind him. But it's, it was just a, the place for the runners to go during the night because it because it was warm.
1: I, I love that they haven't provided anything better than that. That that pretty much epitomizes. The view of the race, from what I understand, but it's like you bet them. You know, we're not going to coddle you. You just got to go out. if you want to be here. You have got to put up with it all.
2: Yeah, ba- basically, yeah, they're, they're the rules. Um, one one of the things I was really, you know, I I, I had an inkling there would be a finisher this year. It's easy to say that, but I think it was it was six years since John Kelly finished. It was the year sort of Gary Robbins. Oh, the, off, off, yeah, off the entry. sixty hours, six seconds. But again, to see to see three finishes was, was was something i'll I'll never I'll never forget. Has
1: like, that happened before? Yeah, once, 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 and
2: it's yeah. it's on the documentary that used to be like on Netflix.
1: But yeah. again, again,
2: it was yeah, it, it was it was unbelievable to witness. What one thing I'd say is when the media or the crew see the runners, whether that's at the gate or whether it's at the top of Ratch or whether whether water station is you're not allowed to talk to the runners or assist. So you can almost hear like a pin drop. That
1: oh, must mm-hmm. be quite, um, yeah, yeah, quite weird.
2: Yeah. Like again, like John, John Kelly, for example, on his, on his last loop, we were waiting at the top of Rat jaw He come up, filled up his water and there must've been a circle of people standing around him. No, no one saying a word, just watching John and you could hear him breathe. Um, it, and it, it, it's just so different to something like UTMB. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just like the way they're sort of self-sufficient and they they just get on with the task in hand.
1: So everyone's just letting mm. him get on at the aid station. And there's a hiker sat against the tree reading a book. And he's still running down Ratchor, even on reading the a bike. book. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Reading a book, complaining about all the missing yeah. pages. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 <laughs> apparently, apparently, the course is about eighty thousand foot, isn't it?
1: Cumulative. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember seeing um, Gary Robbins, one of his training videos. He was, I think he he was training 20,000 feet of elevation change at a time. He was basically walking up the route of a a ski lift and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, And his goal that night was 20,000 feet, which is mad. Um, It's a mad sport. It's it's hard
2: to put it into perspective, sort of what they're doing out there, because again, I wasn't really allowed on the course. We only allowed it like two locations, but obviously, what goes on in between.
1: Could you see them aging visibly each each loop? Do you know,
2: like whether Damien listens to this or not. Damien, oh no, nobody listens like, to this. Just... He, he was so chirpy whenever I seen him. He he was yeah, an, amazingly fresh. Hmm. And what it's had a sense of humour. So I think, I believe he could be a finisher one day. He's got the right mentality. I think so. I was talking to a couple of finishers there and they talked about a triangle. So you've got your navigation, you've got your mindset and you've got your fitness. But um, obviously Damien's from the UK, but I think if he like learnt the course, that out there I think more experience
1: he, well john kelly didn't finish it the first time he set of, didn't he on his last lap right i think the, the the first year he ran it and and went around the corner and hid went to sleep and then walked back
2: yeah apparently damien fell asleep on a on a trail i didn't really know too much what was going on when when hmm. he came back to camp but yeah his certainly his mindset and his fitness was unbelievable to you know for a first attempt to get onto loop five was a was a great effort
1: Mm. What, what were the people like in in their demeanour and and their mentality? What were the ones like who didn't make it? Because because obviously they're, they're going to hang around and see what happens. Were they upbeat? Were they broken? Was it a, a, a mix of everything?
2: I don't. I don't really think I've seen anyone like 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 downbeat. I think everyone just felt really lucky and great to be a part of it. Quite often, you'll hear of like a Barclay family, um, and it's very it's very much true you know, they put on a barbecue for everyone there and you can sort of help yourself. But everyone's in good spirits. And I think it doesn't matter whether you do one lap or two laps, three laps, four or five, you, you're giving it your all and you're you're a part of it. And I think as long as you're sort of testing yourself and pushing yourself to the limits, that's what Laz wants out of it.
1: Hmm. And he
2: wants to keep it on the borderline of what's humanly possible. And he, he openly says that.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what is it? it's a 1% success rate. That's what he's after, isn't it? He doesn't want mass finishes. I believe so. And I think every year there's a
2: finisher. It will just get harder. So I'll be really surprised if there's a finisher next year.
0: Oh, yeah, he's going to make it absolutely horrendous next year, for sure. There's no question about it. Three finishes is just yeah, and not think, okay at all.
2: I think the weather comes into it as well. Last year, hmm. there was a really bad pocket of weather. So I think, again, I, I didn't... I, I talked about it, it was cold. It's like the UK, like really unpredictable, but when it's cold, it goes freezing and it's really sort of punchy. So I think if it starts raining in the middle of the night out there, I, I, I yeah, I couldn't imagine what
1: it would be like, to be honest, out on the course. It's almost <laughs> like snow. <laughs> Tris, would you go if you got an invite? I know the answer to that, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, a million percent. I'd do it. Yeah, yeah 100%. A I'd love to do it. it. Sorry?
2: I'd fancy you for a fun run.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Just mate. Yeah, I'll have a good crack at it for sure. I mean, I'd need to need to change my training a little bit because I'm not I'm not used to that much elevation. Um, and I, I do think the navigation is the key. But from what I'm what I've heard from some of it from people who've gone and done it is you've got you need to stick with someone experienced. Um, you need to find yourself a, a vet, veteran. Like John Kelly, for example, and try and stick with them at least as long as you can, because um, they're just going to know the terrain better. And, you know, although the the route changes every year, I'm sure there must be bits of trail that get reused. Um, So to have that experience, um, I think, uh, would be would be key.
2: Uh, absolutely, and I think it's it's important to look out for landmarks. I know when they were marking the maps, you know, they almost mark certain trees and stuff. Uh, all the fire roads in Frozen Head State Park are called Quitters Road, so hmm. it's important to know, you know, because there's quite a lot of fire road crossings, and it's important to know where they are. But basically, if you ever give up at any time, that fire road will take you back to camp.
1: Yeah. The Walk of Shame yeah so it doesn't
2: you know it could be five miles away it could be one mile away but basically those those, those fire roads we call them like in the uk yeah they, they will take you back to camp but i think it's you know as the event goes on when you're more sleep deprived it's hard to look out for those landmarks and that's where mistakes are made and sort of people get lost and go wrong i think i, I recall one lady she obviously i think the race started roughly about eight fifty in the morning she arrived roughly the same time the next night after Loop One. Oh wow! Yeah, and it got it got to the stage where ranger was involved. You know, almost a search and rescue. Laz wasn't too happy with that.
1: Oh dear! Yeah, it's um. So Tris would go. I I, I don't think I'll ever get asked, but I don't I don't I don't know. I'll figure that problem out if I ever I have it. Um, we are you going back again next year? It's, it's one of those, maybe,
2: if the opportunity arises and if it's something I, I I want to carry on doing. But I think out of all the events I've done, Barclays, where I felt most at ease, mm. I think my sort of style suits the Barclays. If I want to capture the runners on the floor, that's, that's the event. There's a lot
1: of runners on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right,
2: that's, it. that's yeah. the event to go and do it, really. Um, the ultimate I, suffering. I think as well, it's... UTMB in the Arctic, it's quite fast-paced. There, but the Barclay is not is not fast, and there's a lot more sort of thinking time. So you can have more thinking time to set up your shots, and you, mm. you know what. More importantly, you know what you're capturing is sort of real.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff, though, and amazing to hear about it. Um, looking forward to seeing what you do next, mate. It's, it's really exciting.
2: No, thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Cool. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time.
2: Great. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error Podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error Podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.